forever. Dog. Comic books, comic time. Writers and artists are on the line. They make a splash as a comic's read and take us on a trip behind the spread. Watch out for comic book commentary. Spinning or winning inside, fix how they got a hot idea. Narrative, character, visual tricks, and onomatopoeia. Uh huh. It's comic book commentary. Hi, I'm Magdalene Visaggio, and I'm here to talk about Dr. Mirage number one, uh, new from Valiant Comics. I believe if this is uh, coming out when I think it is, that it's dropping on the same day as this recording. And much like the comic, this recording predates it by quite a bit. Um, Dr. Mirage, like I said, is from Valiant Comics. I wrote it. Uh, pencils and inks are by Nick Robles, with colors by Jory Belair and uh, letters by Dave Sharp. Um, this book is, I just want to say this up front, is, is fabulously beautiful, for which I can take only the most minimal credit in terms of providing uh, some, some degree of art direction. But really what, what Nick and Jordy have done is incredible and, and wholly theirs. Um, I, when I first talked to Nick about the book, I said that what I wanted was a book that was weird the way Steve Ditko, Doctor Strange, was weird. And that I didn't want him to ape what Ditko did, but just to find that well of weirdness in himself. And what he turned around was, is just this brilliantly odd visual language. It's just the way that we're, that he is landing uh, the visuals for the book are, are really, really just perpetually impressive to me. Jordy's colors too are so odd. She's doing some very, very daring things in this book. And just with the two of them put together is something really special. And I just wanted to be really upfront about that. So I guess I'm just going to start on page one. Actually, before I do, I would like to actually just mention when I was at a Comic Palooza in Houston earlier this year, uh, I actually had the opportunity to go and meet the creator of the original Dr. Mirage, Bob Layton. And the original Dr. Mirage, which was uh, ran in like 94 for, I want to say, 18 issues. It's a very different book. Um, but I'm, I'm really proud that I get to participate in the legacy of this, of this character. It's really one of my first opportunities, probably my first real opportunity, to participate in this sort of larger conversation of a character in a significant way, and that was, that's just very exciting for me. So we open up the book with a dream which... You know, even I think it's kind of lazy, but I don't know. I, I thought it was really important considering the kind of book we wanted this to be, uh, to open with with something fanta a little fantastical, a little uh, symbolic, something that could impart a lot of themes visually in a very straightforward and efficient way. And so a dream seemed like a, the really, a really smart way to do that. So we open with Shan just plummeting from the sky away from the image of her husband. Um, and as she's doing so, we have this narrator just just shouting out this exciting introduction. You know, on tonight's episode, the impossible link between the here and the hereafter. And that voice is going to carry through the whole book. But I was really fascinated by the contrast of those two images. When I sat down to write the book, Really, when I sat down to write this issue specifically, it, um, 
I had the visuals and, and the contrast, the jarring relationship of the voice to the images seemed uh, really important to me. Um, moving on, on the next page, we then see Shan plummeting, crashing into into uh, a body of water as the announcer screams, the death-defying Dr. Mirage. Drowning imagery is something I've used. I've, I've used a very similar image like this um, in Eternity Girl, where we had the recurring image of Carolyn, our main character, drowning. Um, be, drowning, as someone who's suffered a lot from depression and has, is now doing a second book that deals with it, uh, drowning is, is such a visceral image to me of that experience and so just jumping off the bat i just i thought that i didn't mind repeating myself in, in that sense because I, I just thought the visual was so powerful and, and such an effective metaphor so at that point i don't even know how to talk about this book because it's like it's one big scene and and i don't i don't want to give the whole thing away, but I guess that's the point. I'm just kind of winging my way through this. Basically, the book opens and Shan is in this really hard period in her life. <clears throat> For mysterious reasons, her husband, Twen, is gone. Now, it's important to know about Twen that he's a ghost. Uh, Shan has the ability to see and talk to ghosts. You know, like the Sixth Sense. Um, but so we start and Shan no longer has that ability, which means she no longer can speak to her husband. Um, and so all she's trying to do is figure out how to fix this problem, reestablish her connection to the afterlife, what in the Valley universe is called the dead side. Um, but really more importantly, I wanted to spend time with Shannon, her misery, watch as she kind of drifts through her life. And then build off that. This was, I think, a really, really fun, fun thing to do was, so we, we see her just kind of getting, you know, making herself some breakfast, walking through her filthy apartment with its unwatered plants and dirty dishes still on the table. And then she goes into her study to try and reopen the door to the dead side. And what we get is this psychedelic explosion of light. The book that starts off really just a mixture of blues and pinks, uh, which I'm just now connecting are the trans flag colors, so hey. Um, Jordy then gives us this rainbow explosion. Hey, well, that's the gay flag. Man, man, that is, this is more low-key queer than I, than I previously realized. <laughs> but it all, all hell breaks loose and Shan has to shut down yet another failure because that's what we've learned is that she keeps screwing this up. It never works. See, Shan's husband was kind of the magic user and then we just kind of leave her resting in her failure. It's, um... We just wanted this burst of chaos, this burst of energy to contrast with the, the low-key moroseness, the 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 quiet sort of desolation of her life um and actually even just a little joke we did to emphasize that it's on what page four um shan is pouring herself a box of cereal and it's the cereal is called uh marshmallow sugar coated 
Moros or Moros, hey? Okay? Um, and then out of nowhere, her uh, this this girl just appears on her front door. Her her you know doorbell rings, and she's mystified because she thought she had cloaked this house in so much invisibility magic that no one would be able to find it. And to get a sense of the effect that I, I want this to be is if you've ever read the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy books, we have this. Uh, thing called the nobody else's problem field where you can just be staring right at it but if there's a nobody else's problem field around it you just won't notice it because your mind will dismiss it as somebody else's problem but despite that this girl is at her front door and she's telling her all these impossible things um what i find so i guess interesting about this dynamic is you've got this very gregarious, energetic, snide, jokey girl who's bringing this completely different energy to the book. Shan is quiet and mature, borderline sedate. She's very depressed. And then this girl walks in and I like the contrast in their hair colors because Shan's hair is blue and this girl, her name is Grace, her hair is red, which really just, I think, underlines your different kind of energy levels. Um, but suddenly this, this, this snarky little piece of shit teenager is telling her these secrets about the, about the universe. She's telling her, um, you're not failing to open the dead side because you've lost your connection to it or it's gone. You're dead and this is hell. We're both dead. And um, she's her only way out of it. That's what she insists. But the whole thing about Grace is that Grace just sort of gets right into Shan's problems and she's bringing knowledge that, that she shouldn't have. Um, because it doesn't matter you know, why because right now, um, but she's, she's got these secrets about Shan and she's, she's digging into Shan's pain to get her to trust her. It's really kind of messed up. But she needed something to establish trust, and so she tells Shan about how uh, she suffers from you know, how about how Shan suffers from infertility due to her um, due to a, a childhood illness, and how then we find out that this girl can also see that. I'm really sorry that I'm just kind of rambling and recounting the story. I'm so bad at this unstructured thing if I don't really have a point I'm going to. I feel like I'm just like trying to talk my way through the book. And you know, that's the wrong way to do this. As we can tell, I'm 10 minutes into this, you're 10 minutes into this. And so let's, let's change gears a little bit and find a better way to do this. <clears throat> when Valiant first approached me about Dr. Mirage, I had already made very clear to them I was interested in the character. Um, if you've read really any of my work outside Kim and Kim, you know that I'm really fascinated by death. Um, it's what Eternity to Girls is about. It's what Sex, Death, Revolution is about. Um, and so this is like my third death book. And I'm, I'm just a really morbid person. You know, death is something that's coming for us all. We all have to make our peace with in one way or another. Um, something that lets us live in a relationship to that reality while not falling prey to hopelessness. Um, and so I've, I've really wanted to look at it from different different perspectives. You know, like uh, Attorney to Girl is a book about learning to accept that you're still alive and that you have to continue. And this is a book about letting go of things that you've lost. 
Um, so they're, they're really, they're related themes, but hitting death from what I think are, are very interestingly oblique angles. When Valiant first approached me about the book, they, the first thing they told me was that they wanted Quen, her ghost husband, to not be in the book. The first two trades that Jen Van Meter did, her runs on the book, are very Quen-focused. And, and I guess Valiant really wanted to see Shan stepping into her own and taking center stage and having her own goals that aren't simply related to bringing her husband back to life. And so what I made, this is a book about bringing yourself back to life. Shan is in the position of being someone who's dead, someone who has lost everything and has to return to life. Um, we start with her symbolically buried, in, you know, like basically exiled away in her home um, before being forced out into an increasingly hallucinogenic and psych psychedelic uh, wilderness space um, that they have to explore to make their way out. Her husband's presence is reduced to the repeated urgings of a ghost she can't hear or see. Uh, only Grace has access to Huen, and so she's just repeating things Huen's told her through her own kind of snide, shitty lens, um, which really further underlines the divide between Shan and the rest of her life that she can't access it to normal means. She has to go through a mediator where she has always been the mediator. She's utterly disconnected from the kind of life she used to have. And to me, it's felt like a really natural step forward to bring the sense of, of altered states of perception into the book. Um, so she's someone who no longer has access to reality as she has known it. So then what the book does is provides her with an alternative reality through this hallucinogenic drug called anabasis, uh, which is from, uh, it's a Greek liturgical term um, that means memory. Um, or memorial. Um, what's so powerful, what works for me about doing that is that Shan has to navigate her entire world, her entire universe in this new way with this guide and even the geography of it has changed. So her alienation from the space of her entire life is, is really complete, you know? She's being led around by a child. And what that child promises her is a reunion with her husband. She says, if you walk through this oblivion with me, if you walk through this nightmare, hyper-colored hellscape with me, I'll be able to bring you to the life that you once lived. Grace is able to do this. Um because she suffers a, I guess my starting point was, was a character suffering from Cotard's delusion, um, which is a very rare psychological disorder in which um, the sufferer genuinely believes that they are dead or that they are decaying or rotting. It's a sense of like complete bodily disassociation. Your body ceases to have any meaning for you at all. It kind of becomes this hunk of meat that you're pushing around. So I thought it would be very interesting to connect a woman who can see the dead with a, a girl who thinks she's dead, with a girl who is able to use that sense of her own relationship to death to sort of unlock a way of understanding both of their situations. Grace, you know, tells Shen that, that, they're, that they're dead and this is 
hell. And that's something she's able to do because she already has that disconnect from her from being alive. That gives her, her a kind of ability to see past everything, to see a degree of falseness where others might not see it. We did a little bit of current events. Um, Grace is a survivor or not, depending on how, whether or not you believe that they're dead, uh, of a mass shooting in her school. Um, that's kind of where her sense of being dead, whether she is or isn't, began with that moment of tragedy and her world collapsing around her in a way that she you know, probably couldn't really cope with. Um, so this is, a, I guess, another book of mine that, that's looking at mental illness. I'm really into the idea of broken people, people who are working through shit. Um, it's, it goes through every one of my books. Kim and Kim, you know, has people resolving identity and body issues and daddy issues and, and mother issues and um, trying to stake their own path moving forward. Um, I, I'm, I'm so into the idea of working with, with like fuck ups and failures and... This book stars two people who on some level regard themselves as failures of having been the victim of something or finding themselves now in, this, in, the, in an unsolvable situation that they don't know how they got into and don't know how they got out of. Which, I mean, I guess really just comes back to depression and then journeying through the, the nightmare world. I feel like I'm just rambling and I don't know how good this is gonna be but I'm coming up on about 20 minutes. Um, I don't really know what else to say. I'm not really good at talking about my own work. Never have been. I get so self-conscious about it. Um, I guess what I just wanted to take out of this is that this is a book that deals with heavy things through a strange and fantastical lens. And if you're into altered states of perception, if you're into dark nights of the soul, if you're into the strange recesses of the human mind, and if you want to know what happens on the other side of death, check out this book because that's kind of where we're going with it. Um, otherwise, thank you for listening to me ramble and stutter and stop talking and cough and clear my throat. I'm sure it's been very entertaining. Um, I hope you guys have a great day. I have been Magdalene Visaggio. This has been Dr. Mirage number one. And I hope you enjoy my twisted rambling. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Engineered and mastered by Alex Sarchet. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcast.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook. <laughs>